0: Knife.
1: Hello, mate. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm not too bad. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another We Need to Talk About Movies podcast. And this week, we need to talk about the Isle of Dogs 2018 Wes Anderson animation. So it's his second animation film, isn't it? Yep. After the Fantastic Mr. Fox. You've seen that, I take it?
1: Yeah, I watched the Fantastic Mr. Fox and... I didn't even need to be told when I saw the trailer for the Isle of Dogs that it was a Wes Anderson film because you just (laughs) recognise the animation instantly, don't you? Oh, yeah. It's so distinctive, isn't it? Yeah, it is.
0: Yeah, even the framing of all the shots, it's recognisable as a Wes Anderson, isn't it?
1: And then then when the trailer went on to say, you know, it's a new Wes Anderson film, Isle of Dogs, I was just like, I need to see that.
0: But... That was like over two years ago, Nathan. You've only just watched it or have you watched it before?
1: No, no, I've only just watched it. Basically. Yeah, me too. I went, after seeing the trailer, I went on a bit of a Wes Anderson binge and not a huge one. I bought a few films, uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, I bought my own copy of Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, yep. uh, uh, The Life Aquatic with Steve Sisu. And a few other bits and pieces. And, um, the person I was meant to be going with backed out, and uh, it just sort of—I missed it at the cinema. Yeah. As a result of it, and then just sort of haven't got round to watching it since.
0: Yeah, I don't know what happened. Why I haven't watched it yet? Because usually Wes Anderson film comes out, I'm I'm on it straight away. But this time, yeah, I hadn't watched it yet, and I wanted to. It wasn't—I didn't want to watch it, but. Um, Finally, have watched it, and I've watched it for this, which is great. And it's we are. This is the third film from like one of my favourite directors as well. So we've done, you know, we've had Scorsese now, we've had
1: the Coen brothers, the Coen
0: brothers, yeah, and now Wes Anderson has featured as well. So yeah, really, really exciting stuff. Looking forward to talking about it with you, Nathan.
1: We should do a podcast about it. I don't want to. Oh, I could tell you about my week instead.
0: No, no, <laughs> definitely do a podcast on it, really. So we'll be talking about uh, the Isle of Dogs coming up. This is episode 15, Nath, by the way. Fuck off. Ploughing for them, aren't we? Yeah, over three months we've been doing this.
1: That seems, it doesn't seem like we've done, it seems like five minutes ago we yeah, started this. it's
0: good, isn't it? And I must say that as of this point, the last episode that we uploaded but not recorded. We've recorded Jojo Rabbit, but that hasn't gone live in this reality yet. And the last one that went up was The Truman Show. Really massive response on that. More downloads than any previous podcast, Nafe,
1: Well, that's excellent.
0: Yeah, it's good. So it's hopefully introduced a lot of new people to the podcast. So welcome on board, everyone. Hope you're enjoying this. Hi. But yeah, I put up on uh, a question on our YouTube channel summit or nothing and just said you know the truman show's gone up and i said what is your favorite dramatic role from jim carrey i just thought i'd ask people out day hughes hike said this one love the truman show boiled egg and rooksfoot they i think they missed the dramatic bit in there because boiled egg said ace ventura unless he thinks that is a dramatic role and rooksfoot said me myself and irene which I think me, myself and Irene is possibly one of my favourite Carrie uh
1: yeah. comedies. Well, Carry's he's let off the chain completely in me, myself and Irene, isn't he? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like more it it felt even more so than Ace Ventura. Ace Ventura had like a, a very strong sort of narrative to it, didn't it? But yeah. I think me, myself and Irene playing someone with schizophrenia, he was really sort of just given free reign to do what he wants, wasn't he? Um, I don't know. I think sort of, I really liked him in eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Yeah. yeah. Me too. You know, I thought that was a great film.
0: Um, RP said Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. And so did T and Valhalla as well. That was their choice.
1: I don't know. I think, yeah, for me, it would be between that and the Truman show.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I'm trying to think what other dramas he's actually done. He's done a few, hasn't he? But yeah, those two are the ones that stand out for me too. Um, And also uh, Walks With Ollie also said, me, myself and Irene. And then he said, but I think it was last year when I saw a video that he can do his Grinch face without makeup. He is a rubbery-faced chap, isn't he? Not Walks With Ollie, Jim Carrey.
1: I loved watching some of his early stand-up where he does his Clint Eastwood. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely amazing. It's good.
0: Um. Then also, Naif, I've put up on the Facebook page again, facebook.com forward slash We Need to Talk About Movies podcast. And I just put up another post tonight saying, recording episode 15 in the next hour, last chance to tell us what you've been watching this week. And Simon Viles says, Baby Driver, great film, only just got around to watching it. You seen that, Naif?
1: I've seen it on Netflix advertised recently. I haven't actually got round to watching it. Yeah, it's good.
0: I had to sit waiting for my son to do something a few years ago and it was a case of either driving home and then going back or just sitting in a car and i thought i'll just sit in the car and watch a film on netflix on my phone and i watched baby driver on my phone but yeah did really enjoy it edgar Wright sort of car chase film and the the driver's always got his headphones in drives to music yeah brilliant right cool good bit of fun keith chapman Said, I've watched Greenland after listening to your review. Predictable but enjoyable enough, even with a little bit of dodgy CGI. Also watched Tenet, but need to watch it again. Has missed ten minutes and didn't know what was happening. I've heard people have watched Tenet and haven't missed ten minutes and didn't know what was happening. What is Tenet? <laughs> the new uh, Christopher Nolan film seems a bit sort of Matrixy. It's bits sort of. A bit sort of... What's the other one he done with Leonardo DiCaprio, where they go into dreams? It all seems a bit similar to that.
1: Oh, Inception.
0: Inception, yeah. I must say, though, I not it wasn't one that I wanted to race out and watch. I do like Christopher Nolan films, but I don't know. I heard a lot of people sort of getting confused by it, and I think I'll watch it at some point, but, yeah, I don't know. And Chris uh, Benton said, I've watched... Book of Eli, awesome film, Denzel Washington, Gary Oldman, complete classic, up there with Blade Runner and Training Day.
1: Okay, I don't think I've seen that.
0: No, I don't think I have either. I haven't seen Training Day either. It's one, even though Training Day is one that I own, that's in my collection of DVDs that I haven't yet watched. So, I'm working my way through that. I've watched a couple this week from that. So, that was the feedback from the people. Oh no, and then, Nath... Because next week we're going to watch a film recommended by our audience.
1: Right, okay, yeah.
0: So I've put up a post on the Facebook page. Um, If you're listening to this now, it'll be too late.
1: We've already watched it.
0: We've already watched and reviewed it. But at this moment, we haven't. But once this this podcast's gone up... God, this is
1: complicated.
0: (laughs) We're two weeks ahead, basically. We're ahead of ourselves. But anyway we've had some good suggestions there so i'm looking forward to sort of sussing out how we're going to choose one of those maybe we'll just pick one out of that hat maybe we'll discuss them ourselves but um yeah i won't go into it anyway we'll uh save it for the episode be a surprise oh well
1: that's that was some some nice feedback trev on it
0: that was good yeah busy this week yeah. so that's that's all we've got time for now <laughs> Because, <laughs> Naif, I always
1: ask you as well what you've watched, don't I? You do ask me what I've watched, and quite regularly I either haven't watched a film or I've watched some cartoon nonsense that you don't approve of. But this time round, um, I watched, is it The Mitchells versus The Robots?
0: Uh, my Donna and I have watched this. Donna and the kids watched this when me and you was out camping, actually, the other week. Right. And uh, they said it was absolutely brilliant.
1: I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've missed it. So I watched that. And then um I also you know me, love a good Chris Hemsworth film. So uh I watched
0: Oh yeah, you like you like his big muscles, don't you? Yeah,
1: North? I have got a bit of a man crush on uh Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> so um I watched <laughs> Men in Black International. Oh yeah, yeah. It's all right, isn't it? It it doesn't doesn't have the same sort of Will Smith punch to it. No, at, No at all. It's...
0: It was all right. The kids enjoyed it. I've watched it twice. We watched it. went to the cinema to watch it with my son, like the Men in Black films. Yeah. It's all right, isn't it? It's just part of a franchise now, isn't it?
1: But Yeah, it's a bit of fun. I, I do uh, enjoy Chris Hemsworth in a comedy role. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, whatever.
0: Um, talking of Chris Hemsworth in a... No, actually, it's nothing to do with him. My film... <laughs> well, I was going to say that this week I've watched... Uh, the special features on Ghostbusters DVD that I got, and I watched Ghostbusters in, um, uh, with the audio commentary on. Which one? The original. The original, yeah, not the one with Chris Hemsworth in, but that was really good. But me and my son have watched the Naked Gun films. Oh, brilliant. He loves a comedy, and yeah, I was watching clips of the police squad on YouTube, and I thought, do you know what? I'm just going to watch the films again. So me and Cohen had a boys' night, sat up watching uh, naked gun films for the Friday and the Saturday night. Good, cool, enjoyed them. Good revisiting them. Oh, Leslie Nielsen, legend, wasn't
1: he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, I can't imagine being able to keep a straight face <laughs> through so much of what he done.
0: I'm sure there's some fucking awesome
1: blooper reels,
0: to be honest. <laughs> There's got to be, hasn't there?
1: <laughs> there has to be somewhere.
0: They don't make parody films like that, do they, anymore?
1: No. No. They, they. It's almost like somewhere the formula got lost, isn't it? You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. There was tongue-in-cheek sort of raunchy comedy in it, but now everything just seems to be so offensive. It's like the old... I used to love watching the old vacation films and, you know, all the 80s comedies and i watch him with my son and i felt you know sometimes there's a bit of boob in there but it's not offensive he giggles or looks away you know
1: yeah
0: and that's it's it's fine it's just part of it but i couldn't watch the new vacation film with him because it's just absolutely crude full of really bad language every joke is a sexual joke you know it's why does everything have to be so offensive and that's why I was enjoying watching the Will Farrell films, because like Man and that, there's some of it in there, but a lot of it's over his head, so he could watch that. Yeah. Step Brothers was probably one too far. That was quite offensive. A lot of effing and blinding in it. But then also last week we watched uh, Blades of Glory <laughs>
1: with my son. Yeah.
0: And I forgot how good that film is. It's just brilliant. And I think Will Farrell, when he's not swearing and that, it's the closest thing to our old 80s comedies that I grew up on I think
1: yeah yeah and I enjoy him I enjoy him I, I do love him in The Other Guys I think he's brilliant yeah
0: that's a good one yeah it's that's the same it's not that bad is it The Other Guys it's not crude and it's just a bit of fun it doesn't push that envelope of like obscenity too far Why can't they make more of that, you know? I think
1: it's great there are still actors out there that can do that sort of humour without needing to take it to that level.
0: Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, so that's what I've watched, and that's what you've watched. But what else have we watched? We've watched The Isle of Dogs. Let's get on with it, shall we?
1: Oh, shall we? Let's do that. Shall we? Yeah.
0: So, The Isle of Dogs. Nath, do you want to tell everyone the plot
1: line? Yeah, so, excuse me, what, eh?
0: This was your choice
1: today, wasn't it? It was, yeah, no. I just, my voice went really high-pitched for some reason. I wanted to (laughs) say something important. (laughs) Ah, Right, let's start again. Excuse me. Uh. Uh. So, uh, the Isle of Dogs. It basically is in a fictional city in Japan where... The dogs have developed a sort of canine flu, and as a result of which, the mayor, who you suspect is sort of against dogs anyway, has decreed that the best thing they can do is banish all canines to a island just off the coast that is just basically where they store all their trash uh, until they can think of something better to do. Yeah. And basically, the bodyguard dog of the mayor's uh is it a nephew
0: yeah it's his nephew yeah
1: yeah is sent to the island first and then sort of some six months later the the nephew sort of manages to find himself on the island in search of his dog here he becomes friends with a uh, strange pack of dogs that help him or assist him in his search for his dog and then the adventure just basically follows him sort of trying to find his dog and how they sort of try and resolve the situation of all the dogs ended up not on the island yeah yeah is that is that brief enough that's it that's that's that's
0: about the plot line there well done yeah so it does actually have um, like narration doesn't it and in in the beginning they sort of fill in the story and it says 10 centuries ago before the age of obedience (laughs) three dogs roamed at liberty it's just typical Wes Anderson sort of nonsense tomfoolery but just so well written and that opening story it sort of tells you about the Kobayashi family isn't it yeah and a child warrior sympathetic to the plight of the besieged dogs beheaded the head of the head of (laughs) the Kobayashi clan yeah really good good intro to the film and I think Wes Anderson is very influenced by foreign cinema. He's done the Darjeeling Limited, which was sort of his interpretation of Indian cinema. Yeah. And this is definitely his homage to Japanese cinema uh, and Oriental cinema. But it's still 100% Wes Anderson, isn't it? Yeah.
1: there's. I mean, you only need to watch a few wes anderson films to start to get a feel for wes anderson and it feels like a very for me personally this felt like a very concentrated wes anderson dose it was so wes anderson which which i enjoyed like you know and i just loved i i don't i don't know what it is for me because you know that i love animation you know and i love stop motion animation so much. And I just, I loved all of the, any Aardman, uh it is Ardman, isn't it? Sort of Wallace and Gromit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I,
0: We've just watched all them again with the kids. They'd never seen them. Oh, me. my God. How have they not seen them? The whole family sat in bed <laughs> watching Wallace and Gromit films. It was brilliant. Brilliant. The kids loved it.
1: I wasn't such a fan of when he done Flushed Away and it was like a digital version no,
0: of it. No, yeah, no, no. But
1: still. Nor me. Love, love the animation. And, um, I, you know, since you introduced me to Wes Anderson with the life aquatic with Steve Sisu, I've, I've always loved, uh, or, you know, enjoyed, really enjoyed the Wes Anderson films, like, you know, yeah. So this was just. You know, it was a no brainer, really. I can't believe it actually took me so long to get around to watching it. No,
0: I was the same when I was watching it. I was thinking, why haven't I watched this yet? I
1: don't know. I was a bit, because I, one of my favourite Wes Anderson films, and I don't know why I keep coming back to it, is Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. And uh, that's what
0: we, that's what you suggested at first, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, you know what? I just stumbled across it. It was on TV one night and I was watching it and I was just like, I know this and I know, and I didn't even look at it. And I I knew there was something about it that was so familiar with me. And then when I found out it was Wes Anderson, (laughs) I was like, right, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, And then I went and bought the DVD and watched the whole thing. Anyway, so I was a bit sort of, I wanted to go and see it, but then not everybody enjoys a Wes Anderson film, do they? I think this is what it comes down to. No. Yeah. You know? And it's um, it felt like something I wanted to watch with someone else. I should have just rung you. We should have gone and watched it. Yeah. That's what should have happened. <laughs> yeah.
0: That, well, Nath, the cinema's open again next month. So the next Wes Anderson film, we'll go there, opening night, yeah. watch it, and then come and record a, a podcast. We could sit in the same room and record a podcast afterwards, straight afterwards, talking about it. How does that sound?
1: Let's do that.
0: So, is uh, Moonrider's Kingdom, would you say, is your favourite? Where's Anderson I think film?
1: at the minute yeah it fluctuates you know with with all directors I go through sort of moments of like really enjoying like you know after watching Jojo Rabbit like my new sort of favorite um, Taika Waititi film is uh, is, that, is that how you say it Taika Waititi white Waititi, Taika Waititi. Ta- <laughs> but yeah so anyway like Jojo Rabbit is now my new um, one of his films you know that yeah. guy so, uh, <laughs> but prior to that, um, but you know, originally it would have been Thor Ragnarok. But then when I watched um, Hunt for the Wilder People,
0: yeah, I know it's yeah, it's hard to choose, isn't it?
1: <laughs> I think sort of um, when you when you do have a director that you enjoy watching their films, sometimes you build your expectations up, don't you? Yeah, you know, and I think maybe there was a little bit of that in it as well, which is why I didn't get around to watching it so soon.
0: Yeah, see, because I was. I, my least favourite Wes Anderson film was Darjeeling Limited. Right. But I'd say it's good. It's still good. And I'd probably enjoy it if I watched it again, more so. But I think after Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, which is hands up, my favourite. It's not just my favourite Wes Anderson film. It is one of my favourite films. I just I absolutely love it. It is brilliant. It's because it's about the ocean. I love the ocean. Bill Murray is typical Bill Murray in it. Oh,
1: it's, it's golden Bill Murray, isn't it? Yeah,
0: and it's just perfect, Wes Anderson. It's just great, yeah. um But yeah, then I watched the Darjeeling Limited and I found that a bit sort of, it felt longer. I was a bit restless in it. It's still good, but it's the only time though I really was not disappointed, just it wasn't quite how good I thought it was going to be, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Not
0: my favourite. But, um, He certainly, not only does he have his own style, he's now got this compendium of, this growing collection of actors who come back time and time and time again, don't they, for his films. Yeah. You know, it started off with Bill Murray and Owen Wilson being in his films and Jason Schwartzman. Yeah. And then they added to that Jeff Goldblum and Angelica Houston. Willem Dafoe as well. Um, The only actor who didn't get on with him was Gene Hackman when they done Royal Tenenbaums they really clashed right but I mean then into Moonrise Kingdom then they picked up um Harvey Keitel Francis McDormand oh the list just goes on doesn't it you know and they all come back and uh, most of them are in this and oh what's the other chap um Edward Norton
1: yes yeah
0: as well Bob Balaban it just keeps growing it's brilliant and I think it must really be great fun to work with him. They all keep coming back. But, uh, yeah, the cast in this is... It's an impeccable cast, really, isn't it? It is, yeah. You've got The Chief is played by Brian Cranston, Breaking Bad fame. You've got Edward Norton, Jeff Goldblum, Bill Murray, Greta Gerwig, Francis McDormand, and Scarlett O'Hanson. film number three for Scarlett O'Hanson, Nath.
1: No way. <laughs> On
0: our podcast, yeah. She plays Nutmeg.
1: Oh, you know what? Harvey Keitel. I didn't realise that was her.
0: No. Uh, Tilda Swinton, Leave Schreiber, massive cast, and then a handful of um, sort of Japanese actors as well.
1: Well, I'd be hard pushed to say what my favourite part of the film was because visually, it's just mesmerising. Oh, yeah. I, I absolutely just fell in love with it. And it's not just the, you know, it's not just the style of animation. It is the classic Wes Anderson sort of shots you know the cinematography
0: yeah everything is completely square on isn't it so you either get these completely symmetrical sort of landscapes or a completely symmetrical birds eye view
1: everything's square and and the thing is is when you're when you're recording a film and you're having to use when you're not making a set, when you're using actual buildings or actual positions in cities or, or countryside or whatever, you know, you kind of have to deal with what's there. But with animation, you know, when you're building the set and the cast and positioning everything where you want it, the the level of asymmetry just seems to go up a notch, doesn't it? You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. And whenever you look at anything in real life, things just don't appear that square on, or you're not, you know, the centre of the lens is not perfectly at eye level with uh, the actor or the subject, and the subject isn't perfectly square in the middle of the frame. And it almost, that sort of alerts you to something different in in the way the film is, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Yes. You just don't see it at all in real life. It almost makes you feel uncomfortable to a degree. You don't
0: see it in many other films, do you?
1: No, for that reason. I and think. if,
0: and now if someone uses that, you think, oh, they're trying to be Wes Anderson.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, uh, there's a film called Garden State, which was, um, the chap out of Scrubs, the chap out of Scrubs, yes. wasn't it? It was his, he wrote it and directed it. Right. And it tried very much, he tried to sort of borrow Wes Anderson's style for a lot of that film. And I remember I enjoyed the film, but I, you couldn't help think, but that he's, Borrowing from Wes Anderson here, you know, yeah, and I'm sure it's been done before. I mean, a lot of Kubrick, a lot of symmetry in Kubrick's work as well, isn't there? But Wes Anderson takes it to a really unnatural level, but just lets you know you're watching a fantastic, you know, a fantasy film, even if it's grounded storylines. It's always fantastic, isn't it?
1: I was watching. I was watching. I think I said I was watching a a doc, like an interview with um, Wes Anderson and some of the cast members on YouTube. And he was saying that you know, because he loves his wide shots as well, doesn't he? And uh he was saying with a lot of the wide shots, they were making the the models so small that it was he was creating additional complications with the with the filming and the animation but by making the character so small to get the shot so wide. But you know, it's a proper dedication to his vision isn't it you know yeah
0: and i just thought with animation you know the the lighting in this particularly yeah especially like the scene with the the drummer boys you know in the opening credits yeah yeah the lighting and that in that this the animation and the human figures was just breathtaking it was just really lit like real actors which is Quite rare for an animation, isn't it?
1: Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's a feeling that you can only really get with stop motion. You don't get it with digital animation. No do you? proper
0: lighting, isn't it? Lighting that little, those little models, but just yeah. I mean that opening scene was sort of mesmerising, and it brings us onto the soundtrack, the score of this. A lot of the sort of percussion, sort of I, I take it a Japanese sort of percussion sounding. It's just fantastic. Oh, Alexandra Desplat, another frequent collaborator with uh, Wes Anderson. Um, Grandpa the Best Hotel, we done. Moonrise Kingdom. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, the score was just great, wasn't it? Yeah. And it sort of brought a bit of tension and a bit of a sort of an action feel to some of the scenes, didn't it?
1: Yeah, I'll tell you what it reminded me of. You know, I've this, maybe I've seen it in other films, but... When you see, like, uh, I don't know whether it would be Japanese or Chinese in Japanese or Chinese culture, but where the um, where they have that specific type of puppets that are silhouetted behind the screen, yeah, shadow puppets, yeah, 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 the, the sort of shadow puppets, and um, where they're using the percussive sort of sound of the drums to sort of go over the top of the uh, of the puppetry, like you know what I mean, and that's it. It, it really did feel. Like a, it was paying homage to that, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, it definitely was. Um, so going back to the actors again, just briefly, That
0: I love, you know, when they're talking, the dogs talking amongst themselves, obviously you've got the dogs talking American, Yeah, and the humans are talking Japanese, which I'll discuss a bit more in a minute, but the, the dogs, the way they talk to each other, it's not like your normal animation where they've got crazy voices and you know they're all characters they just talk like normal people <laughs> just having conversations isn't it there's no blasé finesse to that, what they're saying and how they're saying it and i think that's what gives it such a, a a good edge as well and it was the same with um the fantastic mr fox yeah yeah i don't know the way they just talk about things and they're all, when they're all discussing their um what they miss about their lives.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And, you know, they're all groomed dogs. They've all been had these life of Riley, and now they're living on Trash Island. And, like, at the very beginning, you see them, that trash falls, and then five dogs come up, like (laughs) poodley-type dogs. Yeah, yeah. And then the five stars of the film come up and they're sort of all looking at this thing and then the dogs they're growling and they're moving in growling closer and closer to the food and then they're about to fight and then the first line that's spoken I think it's um,
1: Edward Norton Edward
0: Norton yeah and he says before we uh, tear each other to bits should we at least see what's in there (laughs) and they're like oh yeah and then they rip a bag open it's like a load of rotting like meat and maggots
1: and yeah yeah yeah
0: and they're like yep it's good enough for me
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's it. and then, it kind of sets the tone, doesn't it? Cuz it's 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 a it's a good laugh, it's a good bit of humor, but at the same time it's just like, right, you know, it, things are so desperate that that horrendous list of contents of that sack <laughs> is worth tearing each other apart for, you know?
0: Uh just the way they when they get into the fight and then it's like a big cloud of smoke and you just see like Dog limbs sort of yeah, whipping around. It's and...
1: like you'd expected an old uh, strip comic, isn't it? You know what I mean? <laughs> Almost like a Garfield type thing. It's brilliant,
0: but it's like a cotton wool dust cloud. It's just, oh, it's just brilliant. But yeah, so the, the dogs are talking American, and as I said, they, it's not only is he doing like homage to Japanese culture in cinema and that, a great way to sort of differentiate between the language of the dogs and the humans is having them in different languages. So as English speaking, we can hear the dogs, but we don't understand what the masters are saying. And when the, the, the Japanese are speaking, half of it's not subtitled. Yeah. So we're like the dogs. We don't know what the masters are saying. So we, we're put in the dog's perspective in a sense, aren't you? You know? Um, and then when the, the only time we know what the Japanese are saying is when there's translation, on the screen it's not translation like subtitles at the bottom it's like translated in the reality of the film isn't yeah
1: it? yeah so any time where there's like a big uh, seminar so to speak and and the mayor of uh, megatropolis is or w- whatever it is, is is talking it's as if it's being recorded for tv and and then we're privy to what the interpreter who is francis mcdormand isn't it yeah and and she sort of translates what's being said for us you know but it's great because it kind of it just gives you enough to to follow the storyline without sort of um overcomplicate without losing that separation between the fact that you don't understand what what the masters are saying yeah. doesn't it
0: um, and i think it wor- it works really well it's really effective but apparently the only time it didn't work i was watching a video all about it and they said that the only time it didn't really work was in japan <laughs> where <laughs> They dubbed, they've done a Japanese dub, and all the dogs are talking Japanese. Yeah. And then the Japanese people don't need to be dubbed, so they're talking Japanese. But then the translator is talking Japanese, which was dead weight in the film, because they're basically just repeating everything that's just been said in Japanese. Right. In Japanese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it just changed. That's the only workplace it wasn't really as effective.
1: Ah, so (laughs) Kind of a swing and a miss if you're trying to sort of <laughs> pay re- pay respect to Japanese cinema. Yeah. In that interview I was watching with Wes Anderson, he was saying how in Japan animation is it's a much bigger deal than it is in the rest of the world because in Western culture animation is – got like two types of animation, haven't we, really? We've got like the out-and-out-for-your-kids Disney-type, Pixar-type stuff. yeah. Or we've got your more South Park family guys on sort of end of the spectrum, haven't you? Yeah. Whereas so a lot of the, um, animated films I've been watching lately, the feature length animated films I've been watching that are, uh, Japanese animations, they, they've got real strong, poignant storylines that we just don't see in Western animation. Mm. It's a very yeah. serious genre over there. And he was kind of, I, it was difficult to follow because he's a bit scatty in the interview. But it was like he was trying to bridge the gap and bring more serious storylines to animation in, in Western culture. But yeah. he, it, like he said, with the fantastic Mr. Fox, obviously he was basing it on a book that, or, or its its target audience had already been sort of preordained. Yeah. But with this, he had sort of completely free reign, you know, because it was his own story. Like yeah.
0: That. I don't know how well I know the actual story. I don't think I've ever read the Roald Dole Dull- book book of fantastic mr fox so i only ever know it through wes anderson but it's a
1: complete
0: wes anderson story yeah the relationships in that film are completely wes anderson relationships you know and and in this as well it's always a dysfunctional family half of them aren't the real family. And in this, you know, it's a pack of dogs yep. who have all been thrown together. They have no ties to each other. And then this little boy comes along and they sort of having to accept him. Well, the four dogs will follow the little boy everywhere. Isn't it? And then the, the main guy chief takes a little bit more persuading, but you know, all of Wes Anderson's films are about dysfunctional families. Yeah. Uh, the Royal Tenenbaums.
1: Yeah. yeah Life Lypho- yeah. Aquatic. You know, Moonrise Kingdom is another classic example of dysfunctional family.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's something that's apparent in all of his films again. And yeah, I always think the Roald old book can't have all that in there. Surely it's got to be just the basic crux of him out foxing the farmers. So it's one I should read, really. Yeah, I
1: think that's not a bad shout. I think maybe I'll give that a read and then watch um, Fantastic Mr. Fox again. Maybe we should do that and review that sometime. Yeah,
0: maybe we should do that and do, do review
1: but that. I uh, I love when you talk about the dysfunctional family, like the the pack of dogs. It's just the names of the dogs and and how they behave yeah. is just brilliant because you know they're very strong alpha names, but then they sort of always have this democracy uh, dynamic going on yeah. within the group, don't they?
0: And it's always Chief Brian Cranston's character always says. Well, why do you make decisions? You know, Edward Norton always suggests something, and Brian Cranston always disagrees with it. And no, no, why should you make the decisions? We should vote on it. Okay, all those in favour, and everyone's always in favour against him all the time. <laughs> and, but the others do sort of follow Edward Norton everywhere, don't they? Yeah,
1: it's it's weird because uh, what's what's going on in Meg? Is it Megatropolis? Um Meg Megasaki?
0: Megasaki? Yeah, Megasaki. Yeah,
1: what? Well, What's going on in Megasaki with uh, Mayor Kobayashi is it's almost like a very deviant dictatorship, isn't it? Oh, yeah.
0: It's it's very similar to sort of the brainwashing of Hitler and the Jews,
1: isn't yes, it? You know, it's,
0: yeah. It's that sort of thing, isn't it? It's telling the people these dogs are bad, you know. They've been in our homes for all these years. And he's comes from the Kobayashi family that is sort of protectors of cats. And... Now he's in charge of this town that's pro dogs. He's trying to get rid of the dogs. It's, it's a strange old story, isn't it? And he's got his sidekick who's like Lurch, isn't he? Lurch the the Addams family. Addams family. That's exactly what I was <laughs> really, going to say. Really tall, like <laughs> creepy looking. Looks like something out of a Tim Burton animation more than, uh, where's Anderson, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah Major yeah. Domo, isn't
1: it? Obviously, I'm very, he's, he's pro cat and I'm, I'm yeah. incredibly pro dog. You know, so yeah. right from the offset, it's a stronger feeling than someone who's maybe on the fence with it. And the thought of, and it's—I think it's even said in one of the lines in the film. You know, about turning your back on man's best friend and then just yeah, what? Sending whatever them,
0: happened to man's best friend? Yeah,
1: isn't it? Yeah, and then sending them off to this island. It really hit a note inside me. And I watched a few reviews where where people were like, oh, you know, I didn't really have uh, an emotional connection to the film. I had a really deep-rooted emotional connection to what <laughs> yeah. was going on. It, and when you first see, uh, is it Spots sort of yeah, yeah. locked in his cage on that island? And, and you know, it, it's he's left there in the cage long enough and you don't see the cage opening for long enough to be like, Hang on a minute. Yeah, how is he going to get out of there? Yeah, you've not just yeah. sent him to an island. You'd you just as well just fucking drop him anywhere in that cage if you're not going to put any food or anything or let him out, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, yeah. Oh, mate, yeah, it did strike a chord with me. I've got to be honest with so you.
0: So on Megasaki as well, the, the in the city, you've got the mayor, Kobayashi, is trying to basically banish all dogs and now he wants to annihilate them they get they got a plan to annihilate them you've got a scientist who's trying to find the cure isn't he for the dog flu basically which is why the dogs are being put there they got this yeah, dog flu it, that they don't what do really they call it snout fever off. or something isn't it snap yeah but he's he's sort of pro-dog and then you've got Greta Gerwin's character, who is the only American-speaking character in the film, isn't she, really? The main character. And she's like a foreign exchange student over there, who's campaigning and trying to stir up a revolution against the mayor. So she's the only person who sort of speaks the dog's language in the film, isn't she?
1: Yeah, I don't know whether she was specifically just a tool to be able to uh, get some of the human characters to to be speaking American to make it easier to understand or or, because she does, she does fulfill a role. She, her role sort of starts to tie the plot between what's going on on the island and what's going on on the mainland back together, doesn't it? Yeah. And she drives it in that direction because, because, as as you talk through the film, like the, the scientist is uh he's developed a cure, hasn't he, for this snail yeah. fever. But yeah. when he presents his findings to Mayor Kobayashi, Mayor Kobayashi you can tell like he doesn't care. And at this point, this is where yeah, I mean you've suspected it from the start, but at this point it, it becomes blaringly obvious when he just takes the results from the uh cure and just tosses it in a fire and burns it. Yeah. And you're like, right, okay and then shortly after that he has the scientist incarcerated and then poisoned
0: he does yeah it's the uh, scene it's a great little sequence isn't it with the um the sushi making the sushi yes yeah, brilliant yeah, yeah. isn't it and it's all from the point of view of the person making the sushi and it's all just yeah fantastic
1: so what what, what after, after that scene when you see that he's um you know he's he's been poisoned and he's announced dead uh you're then left with this this hole in the storyline that needs to be filled with the fact that right we've got the dogs on the island that you're rooting for you know they're the heroes of the story if you like and then you've got the mayor in uh in the city that's sort of like getting his way and you know that the solution is the cure the antidote the cure to snout fever, and and you know something has to drive the plot in that direction. And I, you know, a few again, a few reviews that I've watched have said that the Tracy Walker character, you know, is is a, a pointless character. But you know, that cure has to be driven back into the storyline. Yeah, now, doesn't yeah.
0: it? I don't think she's a pointless character, and I think it is to have someone who can talk sort of because it is a lot of it is about language, isn't it? And about language barriers. And I think having that person there looking in from outside but also from the like speak of the dog's language, it's it's it works in several ways her character, I think. I don't think it it um detracts from it and I don't think she's just been wedged in there. I think she's part of the overall plan, like you say,
1: yeah. yeah. She's a, a very Strong activist type, isn't she? Yeah, and she's not just going to sit idly by while these things are... And she's no, she's also the owner of um one of the dogs, isn't she?
0: Oh, is she? The, is it her dog, the Scarlett Johansson character that yes. does the tricks? Nutmeg, nutmeg. Yes, it is. I mean, they, that that's brilliant. Where she's talking to uh, Nutmeg and Chief for talking. <laughs> And she's, he's like, she's like, I can do tricks. And he's like, Oh, you can show me some tricks. And then she shows him one and he's, she's like, I'm balancing a bowling, a 10 pound bowling ball on my nose and I'm doing this. And he's like, I can see that. And then he imagines it, doesn't he? But the animation of how the dogs move, it's just fuck. It just looks like a dog moving, doesn't it? They've got it all down to a T. The stop motion animation is,
1: is impeccable. But the way that, that conversation goes down between them, like, like when you were talking about how the actors <laughs> are just like talking normally, it's not like over, overdressed sort of, um, accents and special voices. It's just, you know, them talking. It was just so matter of factly. It was just brilliant. It creased me up.
0: And that's something in Wes Anderson anyway, is that he, all the conversations and, the comedy moments are just sort of so downplayed, but there's just sort of like a rhythm to it, isn't there? Yeah. That's, that's not seen in any other film. You know, these big gags with punchlines don't need to be sort of played out in a, in a theatrical way at all. They're just,
1: I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, I think the problem with some sort of films is where they they set you up, they build you up to the gag, they hand you the gag, and then they almost tell you when you're supposed to laugh. And it's it's almost predictable. Where's Anderson as a way of catching you off guard with it, doesn't he? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And it's better that way. It is better that way.
0: Some One of my favourite bits in this is where he's like, they say, stop licking your wounds. And then the dog looks up and he's like, licking his wounds <laughs> and all you like you make me sick and then he's sick <laughs> <laughs> and it, they're just all like lines things that we'd say that completely relate to dogs in a, in a more more literal sense it's just great
1: it's, and like the fact that every now and then all of them are like sneezing
0: yeah they always got the the sneeze yeah to let you know that they've got this flu
1: and doesn't chief Pick it, like it's a real random scene. Chief Chief just picks a flea off of one of them's nose and then just spits it in a in a oh, golf hole. Yeah,
0: he yeah, got a tick and bites a tick off his nose and. Because they're walking through, like, they go on this mission, don't they, to find spots. And they're sort of walking across the island. Yeah. They go over to, like, a deserted, like, one half of the island is, like, a deserted town. Is there, there been
1: nuclear fall out there or something? Is that what they're saying? Yeah. Was there a power station that got taken out by a... A, a tsunami. Or an was earthquake it? or something, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So they're walking over there and they meet the two dogs. Uh, one of them is the oracle. <laughs> <laughs> Who is, um, oh, what's her name? Tilda Swinton, isn't it? Right. And she only has like two lines in it. She doesn't really say anything because they, most of the time, they're talking about what she said, but you don't hear her say it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the Oracle says this. But they're like, oh, what? The Oracle, does she see the future? And they're like, no, she understands TV. (laughs) <laughs> and she's basically just watching the news and translating it. Isn't she? <laughs> yeah, it's just brilliant. I notice as well, looking on the IMDB, because there's the character, when she goes into the uh, Tracy character, goes in to find out what's happening with the cure, doesn't she? And the the, yep. the woman doctor in there is really sort of downbeat and just doesn't... She's lost interest since the, the lead scientist has been sort of assassinated. And this, she's called the assistant scientist Yoko Ono, which is actually Yo- Yoko Ono actually plays her, John Lennon's wife. Oh no way! And um, also in the credits is the Angelica Houston, another regular in the Wes Anderson films, plays mute poodle. <laughs> <laughs> so she doesn't even have a line, but she's credited. Brilliant. So we haven't talked about the um robot yeah. dogs. <laughs> just... And the little boy actually we haven't really spoken a lot about him because he it's his mission that's leading the story and it's it, it's his mission to find his dog spots. And spots is like a security dog and he's got like exploding teeth. Yeah which is great <laughs> it's just great is it yeah spitting all these teeth out and blowing all the the dogs up there's some great sort of like ac- silly action scenes in yeah but the robotic dogs when you first see them they always like just appear on the horizon and was it she says who is that i can't smell them and that's how you know it's the robot dogs coming and then they all like, activate and they all like open up yeah yeah
1: <laughs> the, the, just the whole feel of all the robots the drones the little kids playing just everything because it's meant to be like years in the future and the Japanese have got such, you know, amazing technology, haven't they? Yeah. And uh, everything's very sort of uh, steampunky almost, isn't it? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's got a great sort of feel and vibe to it. And, and the robot dogs are just brilliant. Like if you ask a kid to draw a robot dog, that's what you're going to end yeah. up with. I just think they're just great. And I
0: love as well that whenever you see a monitor, in the film. Yeah. It's hand-drawn
1: animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did pick up on it. And I just think that's a great little touch. Mate, honestly, the the, the effort that they must have gone through, stop motion takes forever, doesn't it? You know? Oh, yeah. And yeah, just the level that they have gone to and detail... And some of the shots are just amazing. Like the way the camera moves
0: oh, with yeah. the stop yeah.
1: motion at the same time. It's just like, Oh my God, the planning for that, that they must've gone through. is was just crazy.
0: It must've took a year at least to actually just, to get the footage together, wouldn't it? To shoot the footage. And
1: then like Jeff Goldblum said that I, I think literally he was in a studio for two hours and that was it done. Yeah. Which is just crazy, isn't His it?
0: His character as well is just great, isn't it? It's like um, he's always with the. Um, is he the one? Like, that, the rumours, yeah, the rumours. <laughs> 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 Have you heard the rumour? And
1: <laughs> where are, are they coming from? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I just hear things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fucking brilliant.
1: Basically. We're following the dogs now. They, they've sort of found the cage, haven't they? That they thought was Spots, and it turned oh, yeah, out that, turned out to be another dog called Sport.
0: That's no. right. Because when he first, when the boy the boy crashes then he steals that drone,
1: yeah,
0: uh, like the little airplane, and you see it's coming in and sputters out, doesn't it? And then just drops vertically doesn't <laughs> it, into a cloud of smoke. And the little boy comes out. He's got like an antenna stuck in his head. And <laughs> And the whole film, he's walking around like really like an old man, isn't he, on his walking stick? Yeah. He's like, he is actually almost like the oldest character for his time. The children in this are older than their days, aren't they?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I love, it's a tiny little detail, but I love his little wooden sandals as well, which adds that level of old man-ish to him with his little walking stick, doesn't it? And they they uh they call him the little pilot, don't they? That's right. When you get towards the latter part of the film, where uh they get to the the furthest part of the island, and they do meet up with the dogs that they're referring to as the natives. Yeah. You know, you f- you think all the way through the film, you're thinking of native dogs. You're thinking of like a pack of wild dogs that were just that have never been domesticated. Yeah, but I think what they're meaning by native dogs is the fact that there were dogs on the island before. And what you find out is that they were being experimented on.
0: That's right. Yeah. There was an animal plant. uh, plant Yeah.
1: And and this is part of the Kobayashi regime, I think, uh, because you find, don't you find out wasn't the, wasn't this uh, snout fever, wasn't this like a man-made virus uh, that was given to the dogs? Oh, it could have been. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's I think they from. admit to it, don't they? Yeah. But anyway, when you find the native dogs, the native dogs are the dogs that were on the island left over from when these experiments were going on. And that's sort of quite a, a harrowing reflection on what we have done as humans, you know, when we have experimented, but it's, um, when you see the dogs with like missing limbs and bits and pieces, like Frankenstein dogs almost, aren't yeah. they? And it's just like, that's quite a horrific sort of. Um,
0: yeah, it's it's a very adult themed film, isn't it? It's not. I I was wondering whether to watch this with the yeah. kids when you said about watching it, and then I thought I oh, will watch it without them, um, just in case. And I don't know if they'd enjoy it or not. You know it's probably a lot of the humor is over the head it's not aimed at children is it it's not a child's animation
1: no it's definitely like a very adult theme yeah you know but I think it takes a certain person to sort of get the Wes Anderson comedy oh definitely yeah you know because I think um you know when when I had uh, my housemate living here before and he he sort of came in whilst I was watching moonrise Kingdom and it just <laughs> Straight He's over. Like, his why are you head? watching He's a like... film
0: about Cub Scouts?
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, He was like, "Why? Why are you watching a film where Bruce Willis is a pedophile?" And I was just like, "What the? <laughs> fu-? How did? How did
0: you get You that? have completely what? misread it. I forgot Bruce Willis was in that. <laughs> and Harvey Keitel is like the scout leader, but it's like sort of a a, a slight on, um like the fugitive, isn't it? where they're, like, yeah, searching yeah, yeah. for these kids. We've got to search every doghouse, outhouse. <laughs> He's a scout leader. It just,
1: that is brilliant. Mate, I've really enjoyed this evening. That's been a great little chat about it. Yeah, that. I have. Good, a good film. film. Great Another good film
0: to talk about. And, um yeah, hopefully you guys watched it. If you haven't, then, yeah, please check it out. It'll be great. Um Now we'll just tell you there will be spoilers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, mate. But the thing is right is I've really enjoyed the Tycho White Titties and the <laughs> fucking I Tycho White Titty Oh my god I would be so embarrassed if he heard me call him that because I've got a lot of respect for him as a director <laughs> but for for him and uh Wes Anderson's like you know you are directors of that sort of vein I really, I'm really, i really enjoying going down that road yeah. and getting away from the more sort of mainstream box office fucking I think there's stuff.
0: enough here for everyone, though, you know, because, like, some people won't know these films and they'll listen to this podcast, hopefully, and they'll be like, I've never heard of the Isle of Dogs. Some people go and watch the Isle of Dogs and come away and think, what the fuck was that? It was a load of shit, like you say, you know? Yeah. So I think we need to, you know, we love talking about films, and I love... I love a slapstick comedy as much as I love a sci-fi or there's, there's so much to do. So I think it's a bit of everything. I think we need to do a bad film. Well, wow. because we're at the moment, we're just glowing reviews for everything we're watching, <laughs> which isn't bad. But I think some, some of the podcasts I listen to, some of the best episodes are when they are completely ripping it out of uh, like wow. a shit film. So I think next week we'll have the, uh, viewers choice whatever that'll be yeah we got a, a good list in um and hopefully people are led to that because we mentioned it in last week's podcast but i think after that naif i think we need to just do supergirl we need to get supergirl <laughs> out of the way <laughs> i think it is time is it is it finally time yeah i think so whoo <laughs> Because I'd love to talk about some of the films that I absolutely hate. Because Donna said to me last night, she said, you haven't talked about Jaws yet, because Jaws my all-time favourite film. Yeah. But I've got nothing to add to Jaws, to the conversation that's already been had. Yeah. So I'm not that fussed about talking about Jaws. There's nothing I can add that if you love Jaws, you haven't already heard.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But I said to Donna, I said, I'd rather do Jaws The Revenge
1: Oh, <laughs> the jaws
0: and i think jaws the revenge would be a good way of talking about jaws whilst talking about how it just fell from grace with this
1: jaws the revenge is that
0: michael Kane? yes <laughs> 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 now we're getting in the rhythm of this we've got a few good films under our belt perhaps this is how we do it i choose a film you choose a film the audience chooses a film then we do a shit film.
1: Yep, I'm up for that. And that,
0: that's our month.
1: I'm up for that. <laughs> Nate? Yes? Thanks ever so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, mate. I've really enjoyed myself. And
0: thank you for suggesting The Isle of Dogs by Wes Anderson, our first Wes Anderson film. So, yeah, let us know, people out there, if you a big fan of Wes Anderson or not. And, um, yes, yeah, stay tuned for your choice next week. A listener's choice. I wonder what it can be.
1: I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Cool.
0: Take it easy, Nate, and I'll see you all soon. Yeah, chase, chase.